If you have a Bible available, you may find it helpful to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. It's also our fourth lesson. where we'll be focusing our thoughts this morning. Before we do so, let's pray. Almighty God, we celebrate today and we give thanks for all that we've read and all that we've heard. We've heard the voice of your Son, your final speech to us, hearing from the heir of all things, who has come and given his life, laid it down for us that all things might be made right and healed and renewed. We ask God that as we gather around this word this morning that we continue to hear him speak. We ask that you speak, for your servants are listening. Amen. This past year has been a difficult one for network television. Viewership across the board is down. Shifting taste, competition, new technology, all presents major complications for them. But in the midst of this, there is one network, one that has significantly increased its viewership, Hallmark. Hallmark was the only non-news network among the top 15 to experience substantial gains in the market, substantial They have almost as many viewers now as ESPN does. They're even launching a new channel, their third, Hallmark Drama. I don't know how that differentiates it from the others. (laughs) But business is booming for Hallmark. The most views undoubtedly come during the countdown to Christmas. Now, this begins on October 27th. And from October 27th until the end of the year, Christmas movies are on repeat and rerun. But this year, Hallmark has launched into something new. They have created two dozen fresh made-for-television movies to be part of the Christmas countdown. Here's a few of them. Coming Home for Christmas, the 2017 version, albeit. Let It Snow, Finding Santa, Switched for Christmas, Christmas Under Wraps, Christmas Next Door, Christmas Connection, Christmas Getaway, With Love Christmas. But I'm not really telling you anything you don't know. According to the stats, many of you have been already gorging yourselves on these guilty morsels. And it's not just females any longer. Men are coming in droves to the Hallmark Channel, signing up. Confessing their allegiance in one newspaper article about the phenomena, they call it coming out of the closet. (laughs) Now, the movies, they are admittedly formulaic. Hallmark acknowledges that. The plot line goes something like this. The main characters meet by chance at an inn in Vermont or some other remote location. (laughs) The guy and girl, despite their age problems or despite their grumpiness at the start, they overcome their problems, they work through them, and they end up together. And all of this happens during the Christmas season with candles and trees in the background, and then it snows. Every time, now they just tell me this, it snows. It's clean, it's light, it's encouraging, and it is all things Christmas. People love it. 
Hallmark is booming. So this makes us ask the question, what's happening in all of this? Why, why is this happening? And viewers are actually being very honest. There are studies being done on this now. And people are tired of the 24-hour news cycle. They find it despairing and discouraging. And so they ask themselves the question, do I want to hear about North Korea's missiles that can now reach the mainland of the United States? And they say, no, give me Hallmark. And they ask themselves the question, do I want to hear about the latest sexual scandal taking place in Hollywood? No, give me Hallmark. Then they ask, do I want to hear about the latest iteration of the tax bill and whether that's going to pass or not? No, give me Hallmark. Or do I want to hear about the president's latest tweet? No, no, no. La, 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 la. Please give me Hallmark. It is driving this phenomenon. Because here at Hallmark, things work out. All is well. Trouble is overcome. There's something in the formula that they have found in the movies, in all of its predictableness, that we eat up, that we love, that resonates with us. But why? Why is that? Why does it resonate with us? And what, what pulls us into this need is the legitimate need to escape, to escape into a world where things do actually work out, to escape into a world where all is well, to escape into a world where trouble is overcome, that there is that legitimate need, and people want it. They want an escape into some encouragement. They want an escape into some hope. And it is in the middle of this fractured life. In this fractured life that's full of sin and sorrow, that's full of trouble and trials, that's full of duplicity and despair, that we are desperately looking for some encouragement and some hope. Because it's nice to think such fancy thoughts. But one of the main issues is that it's fleeting. One older gentleman who was interviewed, he was an unlikely convert to Hallmark. He expressed his concern this way. He said he didn't know exactly what he was going to do when the countdown was over. Where am I going to turn? There's nothing in the new year. And friends, it begs the question for us. Is there something that's more lasting? Is there something that's more enduring? A resource that affirms us and assures us that things will work out, that all will be well, that trouble will be overcome. And for Christians, that resource is what we have been tracing this morning through the contours of Scripture hearing the message of God coming to us in order to be for us. And it's that story that Isaiah rehearses in brief in, chapters, in chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. And what happens here in chapter 9, very quickly, is that Isaiah speaks of a future day. In verses 1 through 3, he begins to trace that future day, that it would be a day when light would dispel darkness. And also joy would displace anguish and justice would overcome oppression. It's a beautiful picture that he paints 
of the reversal of the hopelessness of the world and all things being made right. This is what Isaiah foretells, the righting of wrongs, the undoing of corruption. It is a good and it is an encouraging word in the midst of a time in Isaiah's day that was full of trouble and it was full of despair. And the question becomes, how does it take place, though? How does this great reversal of all things unfold for us? Isaiah builds the case in verses 4 through 6, explaining as he telescopes out how this great reversal is to unfold in three ways. The first, in verse 4, we see that this reversal relies on an act of God. Listen again to what he says. For the yoke of his burden... And the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. He mentions the yoke, the staff, and the rod. All of these were symbols of oppression. And these have been broken by God, Isaiah says. He speaks of the future. He looks forward to the day where there would be liberation, where this oppression would be ended. And he then compares it to an obscure reference, as you did so on the day at Midian. Midian was a battle that took place in the book of Judges. It's found in chapter 7. And Midian uh, was battling against Israel. The tribes of Israel gathered there. And Gideon was leading the people as their judge. God then does something strange. He takes Gideon's army that was 22,000 strong, and he begins cutting it down and cutting it down and cutting it down. And then God tells Gideon why he is doing that, why he is shaving his army down. He said, because if I don't do this, the people will say, my own hand has saved me. And God was cutting out the ability of Israel to be able to boast in its deliverance. That he wanted them to see that this salvation, this victory was coming from God and it was coming from him alone. And what Isaiah points us to and what he says here is that the victory to come is just like that. That it has nothing to do with human ingenuity. It has nothing to do with human capacity. But rather it's a victory given by God in which we can do nothing. In which we can find no room and no place to boast because it's clearly from God and from no other. And that that unfortunate habit of taking credit for the work of others, that that will be closed to us. We won't be able to do that. That this salvation is done without us, and yet it is done for us. That the only unique contribution that we have to this reversal is the sin that we've contributed to the need for it. That is what Isaiah is presenting to us, is that this deliverance to come will be an act of God. Now, the second piece to this reversal, though, is found in verse 5. In verse 5, we see that this reversal is comprehensive and it is complete. Follow with me. Isaiah says, For every boot on the tra- of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. It's beautiful imagery that he unfurls here of the implements of war being destroyed, of those things that were used for violence, of those things that were used for chaos. All of it was going to be wiped out. But not only were the instruments themselves going to be removed and burned, 
but actually the memory was going to be expunged as well. That God was going to do something unique. You see, because in removing the conditions of war, what Isaiah implies is that everything that leads to human violence, everything that leads to this corruption, to this pollution, in which brings out the worst sides of humanity, that everything that leads to it was going to be removed as well. And that that was what is going to happen on a future day. That chaos and hatred, that greed and scarcity, that malice and envy, all that plagues us in the human heart would be scrubbed clean. That all these things would be weighed and that they would be found wanting in God's new world. And our world will be free from it. The door will be locked to these things and it won't be allowed to intrude. God will bring judgment on those old things, freeing us from them, liberating us, making the world right and clean. But the third piece of this reversal that we find is in verse 6. In verse 6, we see that this reversal will be established through a gift. And that gift, very specifically, is a person. Isaiah writes once again, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The promise was for a royal son. We have read that promise all through the Old Testament, reaching back to Psalm 132, where God swears that one of the sons of David would forever be installed upon the throne and that he would rule over the nations from the rising of the sun to its setting would be the dominion of his reign. And Isaiah speaks of that same one who is coming to establish peace wholeness, to bring salvation, to make things right. And friends, the question is how exactly does this king establish this peace? You note in verse 6 that Isaiah says the government shall be upon his shoulder. And that is to simply say that Isaiah points that this coming son of David was going to receive the burden of government that he was going to receive the responsibility to rule upon himself, that he was taking it upon himself to establish this peace and this justice and this righteousness. It was his responsibility. But we also notice that Isaiah uses those same words in verse 4, where he says that the rod of the oppressor, that the staff that was placed upon our shoulders, that that was broken. And friends, this is the son of David. Jesus Christ means for bringing this great peace. That he breaks the burden that is placed upon our shoulders. That he frees us and liberates us from that. And he takes the burden upon his own shoulders. That the government falls on him. And what our Lord Jesus has to do in order to establish the peace and the righteousness and the justice is that he has to free the world from the burden of its sin and corruption. And so his death is not somehow fleeing from responsibility. It's not an abdication of his throne. But rather, it was our Lord Jesus taking 
his responsibility, this pledge that the government would fall upon him. It was him taking that responsibility to rule in the most serious way. To free God's people, to free God's world from the burden of sin under which it labored. That is what Isaiah speaks of. Of the God who comes unto us in order to be with us. And with us in order to be for us. That he would bear the government. That he would bear the weight of that himself. And that he would free us into God's new world. See this great reversal. It is an act of God. It's comprehensive and it's complete. It's established through a gift. And it is only in him, in Jesus Christ, the son of David, that things will work out. It's only in him that all will be well. It's only in him that trouble will be overcome. This is what Isaiah points us to. In the middle of all darkness, in the middle of all gloom, in the middle of all anguish, in the middle of all pain, that there is one who has come. Because we don't simply look forward to the Son of David. We look back and we see him. And we do look forward and we await him. And we await him and we wait for the unlocking of that door where everything will be right. Creation comprehensively healed completed and restored and made right. And that it's through the cross. The Apostle Paul tells us that our Lord Jesus makes peace through his cross. And friends, that is the great hope that we have for the future. That is what Christians have to sing about. And in the midst of despair, this is a lasting and enduring source of hope. Something that goes beyond simply the weeks ahead of Christmas Day. It is the escape that we all desperately need. The relief of all burdens. And so look to Jesus. Find in him the consolation, the joy, and the comfort that only God can give. The God who is for us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus that he comes to bear the government and the weight of that upon his own shoulders and all that that has meant for him and all that he has done for us. May we be thrilled and may we be enthralled by all that he is. And may we look to him and may you encourage us and fill our hearts with hope. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.